miracles. Of course, the healing of the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, was very significant. But he even raised someone from the dead, Lazarus, who'd been in the grave four days. And he performed a number of other miracles as well. Now, our text is from the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. If you have that in your pew Bible or in your Bible, you can follow along. I'm reading out of the ESV, Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they all saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your eternal word. We thank you that we know the grass withers and fades, but your word endures forever. Lord, we are a hungry people. We need your word. We need to be fed today. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers today, but to be doers of your word. Thank you for this section of scripture We know all scripture is inspired, but we're grateful for this text. Guide us, lead us, and help us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. The main exhortation is obvious for us. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, who turns the impossible into the possible. Now, this may not have been a rock concert. This may not have been a speech by an American president, but you can sense the excitement in the air. The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is in town. And more and more people are being added to the procession as he makes his way into Jericho. The story centers around one man, Zacchaeus, But really, Zacchaeus is not the main focus of the story. Jesus Christ is. First of all, who is Zacchaeus? Everyone knows the story of Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus is a tax collector for the Roman authorities, and he's not just a tax collector, he's kind of a supervisor of tax collectors. That means Zacchaeus has it set up that everyone in the system underneath him, he'll get a cut from the taxes they collect. So with all the connections he has, the text says he is rich. Now you must remember that Jericho was on an important crossroads where it was an excellent place for trade 
and the, and the traveling of people trading. And so an excellent place, obviously, to collect taxes. And Jericho was a magnific- magnificent city. Uh, Herod the Great had invested a lot there. There were palaces, uh, magnificent gardens, and, of course, the famous aqueduct system. And thanks to these connections that Zacchaeus has, he has a lot going for him financially. Now, as I've already alluded to, this is not a normal day in Jericho. Jesus Christ is in the city. And this leading tax collector, Zacchaeus, does not want to miss the opportunity. And and we have to assume that Christ's reputation preceded him as he made his way into Jericho. And maybe Zacchaeus even heard that Christ was not a respecter of persons and even spent time... (laughs) with people like himself, with tax collectors. And now before we get into the details of Zacchaeus' encounter with Christ, let's look again at verse 10, the text that I read there at the end of that section. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in all Jesus' encounters with people in the gospel, this gospel, The aspect about humanity that is always evident is man's hopeless and documented lostness. The word lost in the text portrays a humanity doomed to perish unless rescued. This perishing is of a definite destruction, not a, a mere extinction, and can be likened to an eternal plunge into perdition and a hopeless destiny of death. What does it mean to be lost? It means we're lost because we've violated God's moral law. We've failed to do the things that that we ought to do as, as, as mankind. And so we're lost, the scriptures teach. Think of the immediate context in the 18th chapter when when Jesus there in Luke 18 invites the children to come unto him. Children are even lost without Christ. And in that same chapter, in the 18th chapter, a rich young ruler asks Christ about what he must do to inherit eternal life. And you remember the encounter. Uh, Luke 18, 18 through 23, Christ tells him in the end, after he has a discussion with him, that he lacks one thing. He must sell all that he has and distribute it to the poor to have treasure in heaven and come and follow Christ. His God was his money, and Christ knew that that created a chasm between God and himself and, and, and the rich young ruler. And so at the end of the conversation, we read, and when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was very rich. Money can be a problem. Money can be people's gods. Pride. Pride, self-sufficiency. Why do I need God? Those are the things that divide us from our Heavenly Father. But Christ is saying here, follow me, telling the rich young ruler. And throughout the Old and New Testaments, we see God's amazing display of grace throughout the Bible. But we also see a very 
distinct and detailed depiction of man's lostness, of man's lostness because of sin. Just to take one text in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. If you want to flip over there, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you're struck really by the stark and dire depiction of mankind. Look at what the first verse says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so this short paragraph documents the truth about the hurtful passions of our flesh that not only harm ourselves, but harm others around us. And how we so easily fall into the trap of being subject to the whims of the people around us, kind of a propensity to follow the herd. We we just really too readily adopt societal trends that are going on. If that wasn't enough, Paul explains that in essence, man is a follower of the great deceiver and liar, Satan himself. And you don't usually think of the normal person on the street that you meet in Auburn or in Kent and think, there goes a follower of Satan. But the apostle asserts that the prince of the power of the air is the leader in the rebellion against God. And in the end, the Bible everywhere clearly teaches that man is lost. Like Paul writes, like the rest of mankind. Now when Jesus Christ pulls into Jericho and we see the figure of Zacchaeus appear, you have to say, now there is someone who is truly lost. Even the most passive observer would ask, is there any hope for an extortionist? Is there any hope for someone who no one likes, no one admires? Is there any hope for a profiteer under the Roman occupation? Is there any hope for a man like that? And what is really truly amazing about this section of the gospel, going back to Luke 18, after Jesus' interaction with this rich young ruler... And the ruler turns down Jesus' challenge about leaving his wealth and following Christ. Jesus says this to the rich young ruler and his disciples there. Jesus looking at him, meaning the rich young ruler, I'm reading in the 18th chapter, the 24th verse. Jesus looking at him with sadness said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Zacchaeus in our text today, ironically, falls under the category of that person who would have difficulty entering the kingdom of God because of his wealth. In other words, what Christ is saying 
Here is a perceived impossible candidate for the kingdom of God, but I relish in doing the impossible. And in my work of evangelism over 35 years in the Czech Republic, how does God save? Numerous times, I've thought that a particular person is a perfect candidate for the gospel, but the Lord ends up saving the person that I had a complete opposite view of. Christ demonstrates with Zacchaeus' life the possibility of the impossible. And Christ often does that with our efforts with the gospel as well. Return with me for a moment to the, the theme of wealth and the rich young ruler. The truth about wealth is that wealth can be a great temptation and hindrance to make you think your future is more secure by how much money you have in a bank, how much real estate you have, or how much is in your brokerage account. The Bible teaches that you're not to set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. The richest man in the Czech Republic, Peter Kalner, died this spring in a helicopter crash in Alaska. When he took off the morning of March 27th, Kellner's net worth was 17.5 billion American dollars. That's American dollars. But what was it in the evening? You know the answer. Zero. And he had to meet his maker. Are you ready to meet your maker? If you're older, your time will come probably sooner than later. In our story, God's mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, breaks through to the least probable citizen in all of Jericho, to Zacchaeus, a rich man. God the Father, through his son, likes to turn an utterly dire situation and make what is seemingly impossible, possible. That is the reason I have great hope for the Czech Republic, in spite of the fact that the Czech people are given over to atheism, agnosticism, indifference, a general disinterest in regard to biblical Christianity. And I just want to remind you that you you can't come to Christianity on your own terms. You must come on God's terms. It is a revelation It is the most important revelation we've ever been given. And we must come on God's terms, what his revelation says. As we've been doing evangelism on the other side of the river from where we live in Prague, there's a big river that runs through Prague, the Voltava River. And as uh, COVID restrictions lessened, we began to do evangelism on the weekends, taking a short survey that we'll talk about later across the river and and engaging people who are out sunning and relaxing by their their cycles and bikes. And and in our discussions with a a number of Czechs this spring, we received some of the most foundational questions about Christianity. Obviously, the people we had talked to had never discussed it before, either at home, at the university, or among their friends. And when we engaged with one young man, 27 years old, he asked me this question. Why did Christ have to die? Now, there's a question for you. He asked, the same guy asked, 
What's the difference between someone going to heaven and someone going to hell? Be careful if you have the tendency to write off certain people in your lives, even among your relatives, as potential recipients of God's grace because their lives are disastrous and seemingly without hope. Remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, however, has a problem, a very practical problem. Guys, he's got a problem, kids. What's the problem? Because the crowds are massive and Zacchaeus is short in height, he determines that there's no way he's going to get a clear view of Christ. So the tax collector does something quite practical and pragmatic. The fourth verse states, we're back in the 19th chapter, the fourth verse, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he is about to pass that way. A sycamore tree is known for its broad, sprawling branches, and they're low, so without much of a problem, he gets up in the tree. And he's waiting for Jesus. Kids, imagine this scenario. The richest man in town sitting up in a tree. What was his motive? What was his main motive to get up in that tree? Probably his main motive was just curiosity. And sometimes curiosity is a powerful impulse for people. And, And what is extremely important here for us is that the fact that Zacchaeus put himself in a position to meet Christ, even though an unbeliever, Zacchaeus made a concrete effort to let Christ intersect his life. Even more so as Christians, there are certain priorities of Christian living that you must cultivate. And you must prioritize these disciplines. And remember that knowing God through the Lord Jesus Christ is a a relationship, a personal relationship. And you can't develop that relationship without intimate and Believing prayer. Prayer that asks God to do big things. Prayer that is persistent. Prayer that is expectant. And I realized last year when I was praying for a number of difficult situations in people's lives, pastoral situations, and I saw before my very eyes how God answered prayer. And I was kind of taken back by it. I was kind of shocked by it. But the question is, why was I shocked? And I began to rethink my, my, my thinking about prayer, study it more, and I came to this conclusion. God answers prayer. And if I don't expect him to change things or for things to happen, I ought to ask myself, why in the world am I praying in the first place? Now, verse 5 of the 19th chapter is an amazing text. And when Jesus came to the place, of course, where Zacchaeus is up in the sycamore tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Not only does Zacchaeus get to see Jesus, Jesus calls out to him directly by name. Christ knows his name, uses his name, and informs Zacchaeus that he's going to spend time with him. How is it possible 
had infamous rumors about Zacchaeus spread to these disciples who were following Christ? Probably not. Did Matthew himself, a former tax collector, know about Zacchaeus? We also have to say probably not also. The answer is obvious. Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the triune God. And John explains that all things were made through Christ and without Christ, not anything made and was not anything made that was made. That means that Christ is the creator of everything. And therefore, is it beyond Christ's capability to know Zacchaeus' name beforehand and call out to him directly? The psalmist writes, he determines the number of stars. He gives them, all of them, their names The Lord does this and calls them each by name. According to scientific estimates, there are one billion trillion stars in the observable universe. That's a lot of stars. And that's a lot of stars to name. Jesus Christ knows your name. If Christ determines the number of stars and calls them each by name, stop and think about how the Good Shepherd calls your name. You're not some anonymous person with a number like a student at a large university. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're loved and chosen from all eternity with an effectual calling. Even though dead in your sins, (laughs) his word and spirit enlightened your mind, renewed your will, and made you willing and able to respond freely to this offer of grace. Are you grateful for that? Are you grateful for that every day? I know Yersi, one of the members of our church is, his father under communism was a lay Baptist preacher And because he was giving literature to people from the Ukraine, Bibles and just Christian literature, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And he served for four and a half years, then got amnesty. His mother also spent a year in prison for the same crime. He's grateful to the Lord. And he brings that into our church, his his heritage, spiritual heritage. Another, Another believer, Vladimir, him and his wife, nominal background, never really went to church, came to faith. After they came to faith, they started to have financial challenges with their business, but grateful to the Lord for what he's done in their lives. I'd like to think that when Jesus looked up into that tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today, that the whole world kind of stopped for that thrilling moment, very moving moment. In the tree, the Spirit of God is beginning to work in Zacchaeus' heart. And Zacchaeus sees his knees and comes out of that tree faster than he climbed up into it. 
One way to look at this story is say this is really a dramatic encounter between the Lord Jesus Christ and Zacchaeus. According to Ryle, this story demonstrates that if there's ever a soul sought and saved without having done anything to deserve or merit it, that soul was certainly the soul of Zacchaeus. Don't envy those that can point to a more dramatic conversion experience than you can. To have had Jesus Christ call your name out of billions of people on this planet is a magnificent work of grace. It's the greatest privilege you'll ever experience. When you examine the text that we have before us today and see what happens next in the story, you don't get a lot of detail about what was talked about at the dinner party at Zacchaeus' house. (laughs) Actually, there isn't any detail at all. We know, obviously, Christ would have talked to him about his life and faith in himself. But let's look at it again. Look at what is is mentioned there in the 7th through 10th, what is written in the 7th through 10th verses, that, that 19th chapter. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. You do see in the text the now bystander complaint, probably from the religious leaders, about who Jesus spent his time with. But there's really no mention of what, what he talked to Zacchaeus about. No mention of Zacchaeus' sinful past. No mention of money. No mention of anything else. Obviously, faith in the Messiah who is sitting in Zacchaeus' house was talked about. But in verse 8, the emphasis falls on Zacchaeus' transformed life. The text clearly shows that Jesus knows when salvation has come to someone, and salvation has surely come to Zacchaeus. We have to assume that what occurs at the the end of verse 8, or after verse 8, is at the end of the dinner party, and the change in Zacchaeus really is dramatic. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And to summarize what Zacchaeus did, the law required the guilty party in fraud to give back the principal that was defrauded plus an additional 20%. But Zacchaeus vastly exceeds what the law requires for restitution. The verb restores in the present tense and portrays vividness and emphasis. Zacchaeus says to himself, I must from now on live in a different way. Zacchaeus is also helping those, or committed really, to helping those who are less fortunate than himself. And and you'd ask, by how much? Well, the text says he's willing to give away half of his net worth. Even though the subject of faith is not mentioned here, and we know that we're not saved by works, but uh, uh, by grace through faith, the deeds of Zacchaeus' Life demonstrate concretely the reality of saving faith in the life of this tax collector. What did Jesus' half-brother write? 
show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What kind of works are evident in your lives? Remember, a living faith includes this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. In our text, Zacchaeus was willing to obey Jesus Christ and follow through on obedience, which the young, rich ruler refused to do in Luke 18. Zacchaeus made Christ Jesus Lord of his life, not his wealth. Zacchaeus was not only a Jew by name, but became a true son of Abraham. Think back to the rich young ruler in the 18th chapter. Jesus challenged him in this way, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And then the next verse says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad for he is extremely rich. On the other hand, Zacchaeus immediately climbed out of that tree and received the Lord joyfully. Really, there are tremendous contrasts Here, when we compare the two men, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, sadness versus joy, disobedience versus obedience, a dead faith versus a living faith demonstrated by good works. Respond to the Lord Jesus like Zacchaeus and not like the rich young ruler. And with God's help, you will. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you for this challenge from Scripture, a challenge that lives on through the centuries, a challenge to follow you and to leave those things aside, put those things aside that will hinder our relationship with you will block it, will cause us to fall even into other sins. So help us, Lord, to trust you by faith to turn the impossible into the possible in the lives of those loved ones around us, relatives, friends, that next-door neighbor. Help us, Lord, to be that light here in Kent, to be that light in Auburn, to be that light in the Czech Republic. Thank you again for the mandate you've given us, the great commission you've given us. Help us, Lord, to do our part with a living faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.